Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited uh, to talk to you today. Uh, We are in, I'm in in California. I'm in Kansas. And you're in Kansas and technology is bringing us together, which is pretty great. And uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 5 and 6 today. Uh, And you said deja vu, didn't you? Like a lot like deja vu. I had a moment the other day where I was convinced, like I have actually been here before. No, no, no. I have dreamed this. I have I had a dream of this exact scenario, but I don't think it was real. No, I've no. had those definitely. I, I've had deja vu like I get deja vu pretty often, like where I'm like, I've definitely lived this before, thought this before, seen this before, felt this before. And every time I do, here's my theory. You want to hear right. my deja vu theory? It has yeah, nothing yeah. to do with Deuteronomy. <laughs> here's my deja vu theory. <laughs> it is that when we experience deja vu, we are stumbling in to um, a glimpse of the foreknowledge of God that this <laughs> this existed in the mind of God in eternity past, and we're now walking into it. And so, in a sense, in the mind of God, I have been here before. <laughs> there, uh, that could be true. <laughs> it's there, definitely not true, but that's a, my theory. <laughs> there's a scientific explanation for deja vu. Have you heard oh, okay. it before? No, I don't think where so. Where it's basically like normally you see something with your eyes, and it just like goes right to that center of the brain that processes that and that kind of interprets it. So essentially deja vu is when there's just an interruption between what your eyes are seeing or you're hearing and the connection with that particular part of the brain. So there's just an interruption or something happens where it just disassociates. So you actually experience it twice, once oh. visually and second, like at a mental level like in your brain. I was like, That's that, weird. It's fascinating. Okay, so is deja vu what's happening here? Is this exactly. is this like we've been here before, or is this different? And how? So we're we're going back in, and we're about to hear the entire Ten Commandments again spoken to this new generation of right. Israel. So I was thinking about this. There's actually, I was trying to, I was hard pressed to think of another time where so many details are the same of a story or an event in Scripture besides this. And like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his life. Mm. Like I was because I was like, the, the the Red Sea is told again poetically over and over again. Right. Yeah. You don't have like 10 rules, like an mm-hmm. entire sermon verbatim repeated. Right. Like this, or any like account like this repeated anywhere else besides the gospels, right? Totally. I, yeah. No, I no, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think that's actually really intentional. <laughs> so why? So then why? Like I was trying to process through like why would that be this the only other real event of scripture repeated like this? Yeah. Well, I mean, because what is the basis of the Ten Commandments? You know, because we've talked about the Ten Commandments in a in a past episode when we were in Exodus 20. And um, what we looked at there is, and, and it pops up here as well in uh, chapter five, Deuteronomy chapter five, verse six, the very first 
commandment or the grounding of the Ten Commandments. There's two, two schools of thought there. It doesn't matter which one you are. The fact remains the same. This is the first part of the Ten Commandments, and it's in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so, therefore, <laughs> in a sense, do these 10 things. And even we're going to look later in chapter six is that um, the, the the rescue of God and the commands of God cannot be separated from one another. And so these commandments are intricately woven into the rescue of God's people from Egypt and the bringing of God's people into the promised land and the meeting of God's people at Sinai. So all of this rescue story, the deliverance story of Israel um, is tied up in these 10 commandments. And so what I like, I mean, I think what, what we should call this is this is the gospel story of the Old Testament. Like right. the rescue of Egypt, the rescue of yep. Israel from Egypt is the gospel of the Old Testament. Yes. And so what happens in the New Testament is we get the new gospel, right? Which is the full one or yes. rescued, not from physical um, enslavement, but spiritual enslavement. And that is what we repeat over and over and over again yeah. now. Yep. And because, and there, I think that, that there's a tighter link potentially, at least in the way the old covenant set up between deliverance and commands than is hap it happens in the New Testament. Like commands, commands, imperatives, obedience is central to the new covenant under Christ, but there's a much tighter link between God has rescued you, now do these 10 things, you know, these 613, mm. these 613 laws, right? right? Or am I kind of I like, mean, maybe, but I think when you read the epistles and even when you read, you know, Jesus's own words, he seems to link uh, his actions and our actions together. So he'll say like, right, I am right, going right. to go and suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees. Therefore, you yeah, yeah. will suffer and be persecuted. And then you look at like right. John, it's like love because he first loved, right? right. Or like so Second Corinthians 5, like give, yeah. you know, give because I don't need he gave to, his life. I don't need to try to make too tight of connection here. What we're seeing here is a repetition of the revelation of God Yep. in the Old Testament and a recounting of his victory over the Egyptians in the same way that the Gospels are both a like our victory over sin and a revelation of God. These two things are repeated because they are God's revelations that save us from evil. Like yes. that's what's happening here. That's why yes, they're absolutely. some of the only stories repeated in the entire Old Testament because we're looking into the Gospel. Yes. Okay. And I think and I think it's something we said back in the Exodus 20 podcast, but it, it must be repeated here is that we cannot separate the grounds of God's commandments from God's commandments themselves. In other words, we cannot separate God's rescue for us and his requirements of us. Like we have to put those together because if we don't, we become legalists <laughs> because yeah. we just end up trying to obey the commandments to get the rescue, right? We try okay. to follow the yeah. requirements to get the rescue instead of being rescued, which then leads us into the requirements. Yes, that's a so, really important yeah. point to make. So here, let me ask this question. So I have a category yeah. for the reason there are four different accounts of Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection. But why do I need two different accounts of this one? Because this one seems a little bit different. Um, why do we have two different accounts of the Ten Commandments being told to us? Mm -hmm. One of the older generation, yeah. one of the new generation. It's a it's a good question. Uh, and like I think let's let's read the, the chapter verse one of of chapter five here. So Moses says, "Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them. And be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us and Horeb." Uh, not with our fathers did the Lord make this co covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. 
So he's throwing us back to Exodus and Numbers, and he's he's telling us like when God stood up there on the mountain and made a covenant, we're we're learning now that this covenant was not actually made with our fathers, the ones who died throughout the book of yeah. Numbers who were rebellious. This covenant was with you. But mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these uh people were tiny kids, babies, young teenagers, and so they would not have gotten to grasp the gravity of what happened at Sinai when God originally gave these 10 commandments. And so it's being repeated to them because they are actually the intended recipients of it. And so it's their initiation into the covenant. So that's why it's being repeated here. It's, it's a very intentional passing of the covenant to this younger generation who will enter the promised land in the next book. Fascinating. I was even thinking as I was reading verse nine, when it gets into the actual commandments, it says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generations. Mm-hmm. So right now, Moses is speaking to the second generation. The first generation passed. The second generation is now alive. And they're currently teaching the third generation. So if they fail to obey these commandments, the third generation, their children, will bear the, bear the consequences of it. Maybe that's too tight of a link to draw. I think, I think so. I think you, you mentioned multiple times there's a broader point being here, like God's yes. mercy since for thousands of generations. Yes. But I could imagine being a dad in that moment, looking at my <laughs> six-year-old son and, say, and hearing the yep. third and fourth generations. Mm-hmm. Like I could imagine thinking, oh, my, my son and my grandson need to remember this, and I have a responsibility to do that. I can look at them right now. Definitely. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So I was well, like, definitely. Especially if you were like, uh, I got, I had to watch my parents die in the wilderness. I don't want my son to have to go through the same thing. That was horrendous and very difficult, and you know all the suffering that came from that. I want, I want my son to have a home. I want to be settled. I, you know, I want him to have a good life. And so I could definitely see them looking at their kids while hearing this and being like. Hold on, I'm having deja vu now, but right. from the other side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it means, so, and they could even be looking at their grandkids because you could have been, as long mm-hmm. as you weren't 20, so you yep. could have a 19 year old survive yep. the whole thing. And right. Be, be almost, yeah, be almost 60. Yep. So you could have, you could potentially be looking at both your grown children and their mm-hmm. grandchildren and right. your grandchildren and say, okay, like I'm third not, and fourth generation. Third and fourth generation. <laughs> they are. Right there. Like yep. I must obey, I must teach them if they are to experience the good news of the gospel that God will rescue us and give us into this land. Right. And anyway, totally. I was like, that put, okay, yeah. put some like flesh on that for me. Yes, absolutely. And so, um, uh, I mean, I, I don't, what do you want? How do you want to handle the 10 commandments this time? Cause we went through them right. one by one in Exodus 10 or Exodus 20 in the last podcast. So I, I don't think we should do that again here. Yeah, so um, you guys can go back and listen yep. to um, our Exodus uh, 20 podcast. We have two of them on all the 10 commands. We kind of just go through them one by one and ask the question, what do they tell us about God? Mm-hmm. What do they tell us about Jesus? So I think maybe the thing we should do here is like, okay, we've noticed that this is for a new audience, for a second right. generation, um, and really the uh, the intended recipients of that first promise, like that first covenant. Like that's what Moses right. says right yep. here. So maybe let's concentrate on what's different about the th- way these things are structured and phrased than the first the first round. Okay. Yeah. Go for so, it. What's the difference? So the first difference is actually in the fourth commandment, the observance of the Sabbath day. And it says okay. this, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath day to the Lord. And essentially it's verbatim the same talking about it's a Sabbath day for your servants and your donkeys and whatever else. But verse 15 is what's different. And the reason that you do this, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt 
And the Lord God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. So this is different from Exodus 20. Mm. Exodus 20, do you have Exodus 20 pulled up by any chance? I don't know. Uh, I will look it up and just continue to talk like this. So there's no dead <laughs> but air. You're, but, you're <laughs> say, but you're saying that like the that, the that this you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt isn't in the original or in the in the first telling of the Ten Commandments? It's not. It says oh, in the first crazy. telling of the first telling of the Ten Commandments is this, verse 10 of Exodus 20. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the oh. sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he grounded it in the creation account the first time, and then he yeah. grounded it in their deliverance from Egypt in the second account. Yes. What? Why? <laughs> I, I've been trying to figure that out as well, because, I, I mean, he, they'd been been saved from egypt back in exodus 20 so it would have made mm -hmm. sense to do it then um totally. and we talked about even back then it's like how like if they're headed towards the new eden mm -hmm. it makes sense that god's appealing to the old eden like god made right. the earth in seven days we're gonna <laughs> yeah. go see that sabbath day edenic rest when we get there so like that made right. sense to us but maybe all we just need to say here is like we just get two different motivations to do totally one of, one of god's commands like yes let's press on to hopefully one day receive the Eden that we hope for, but right. also let's go. And because God has saved us because we have been rescued, let's, we rest. can rest in that rescue, right? Yeah. We used to be slaves. We used to never have a day off, but now we do. Mm. We are mm. freed from slavery. So let us make sure that we rest and remember that we've been freed from slavery. I'm so good. I love that. I, I want to just, we don't have to go in depth, but like that's just that bears repeating more explicitly to how it ties to the gospel because that's just such good yes. news that that we have like the whole world is enslaved to this idea that I will only be right with myself, my conscience, my family, um, a deity, um, a, a moral responsibility to mankind, whatever your standard is. Um, my online gaming community. I mean, it can be anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will only be okay in those arenas, whatever they are for you personally, um, if I work hard enough, if I do enough, if I'm good enough, if I achieve enough. And that can look different. That can look like moral um, fiber. Mm -hmm. It can look like, um, uh, you know, workplace aptitude. It can, it, it can look like religious It can even observance. look like just binging Netflix. Like Totally. It yep. doesn't sound like work. Like you're trying to, there's this implicit understanding like, well, if I watch Netflix enough, I won't be as sad anymore. You yeah, know, like, totally. like I'll have, I'll entertain myself into joy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and yet when the gospel comes to us and we believe that Jesus has earned for us the acceptance, the approval, the righteousness, the goodness, the fulfillment uh, that we are constantly trying to earn in this life. And he's just earned it for us in his life, death, and resurrection and credits it to us, we can just rest for the first time in our lives and stop running at such a frenetic pace and say, I am approved. I am accepted. I am okay with the God of the universe. Right. And in that, you can rest. Yeah. And yet from that, from that rest, you're then sent out into the world to yeah. follow the other Ten Commandments, you know. Uh, like another way to say it, another, maybe just to borrow the rule, the words of Deuteronomy is like, uh, you should remember that you were a slave to Netflix and your, <laughs> and your parents' expectations and your own expectations and career performance. But the Lord brought you out of those things by his mighty hand and his outstretched arms on the cross 
Therefore, yeah. the Lord your God has commanded you to rest from your efforts. Yeah. Like you can rest and trust him. Like pray that God's kingdom would come. <laughs> like that's that's totally the, the heart of that prayer. Yeah. So beautiful. Wow. I like that too, that there's, you know, it might not be necessary to go, why is this grounding of motivation different than the one in Exodus 20? It might just be enough to say like, how gracious is God to give us two motivations for one command? <laughs> Like how cool! Exactly I love right. that. Okay, so what are what are some other differences that you you were, you were talking about? Uh, the next difference is in the next command. So honor your father and mother. And so as we said in the first the first uh, time we did this, like there's a separation here. So the first four commandments are really related to our relationship with God. The yeah. last six are our relationship with other people. So the first one is honor your father and mother. So Exodus twenty says this: uh, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. End of end of sentence. Oh, that's it. Okay. That's it. Verse six here in Deuteronomy it says, "Honor your father and mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you." So that's that's uh, an addition that your days may be long at the land, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Mm. So we get a doubling down of we actually get a reminder that the Lord has already commanded us to to honor our father and mother, right? And the addition that it may go well with us in the land. Yeah. So it's not only that Sorry. we're that we're uh, we get to live in the land, but it's that it's going to go well as we're living in the land. <laughs> yes. So it's like a double I reminder think, and a double promise. Yeah, it is, and I think it too, like like the first uh, command of Exodus twenty, it's supposed to point us to Eden, like as we obey, as we live in right relationship with our parents, as we take care of them as they get older, as we actually get to experience Eden. Like it will go well mm. with us. Like there will be goodness in the land. Like that it's as we go forth and multiply and have multiple children and they take care of us at the end of our life. Like this is the way Eden is supposed to work. Caring mm. for one another, honoring one another. It will go well for, for us there. Right. Okay. So I think what you're saying then, if I could put this in new Testament language, it would be to say that um, in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, one of the reasons why it will go so well for us in that land is that everyone will be acting the Ten Commandments out perfectly towards one another. And yes. there will be no pain. There will be no, like, not, yeah. yes, because God is superintending things and changing things and in a miraculous way. Pain, and some of the most painful relationships we have in our life are the ones with our parents. And, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, definitely. So like, the new heavens and the new earth, honoring of the father and mother will happen perfectly. Mm -hmm. Perfect forgiveness will happen for past wrongs and past abuses like perfect repentance will happen like there will be peace between family members things will mm. go well for us there yeah that's good that's good are there other differences the only difference is in other difference is in um the coveting of the in the coveting commands oh yeah in, in deuteronomy all the scholars point to it and say that's actually two commands here not just one uh it's not meant to be read as two necessarily but it, it's the way that it's written is just changed and okay. and besides that weird grammatical thing really the only thing it, it does is it adds things to it so it's not just your neighbor's house but it's his field and his male servant his female servant his ox and his donkey and anything that is your neighbor's so in exodus 20 uh it's a little bit more compact uh it doesn't mention some of the things it mentions there so that's all that's different oh so, and so what are the two commands what's the grammatical thing with the two commands I've well not heard here of it's and is you shall the... not cover your neighbor's wife period and you shall not covet your neighbor's house or his field or his male servant. So there seems to be a separation between coveting uh, a wife and uh -huh. coveting his things. 
uh, but really they are both subsumed. And the idea here, commentators will point out, it might just be a way to make sure that people understand that women are not property. Mm. If you read Exodus 20, it could sound like oh, uh, yes. the wife is just a piece of property, like a servant or an ox or anything else. So they say that maybe one of the reasons why it's separated out this way is to make sure that husbands know that wives are not property, mm. uh, but the command is the same. You shouldn't yeah. lust after your neighbor's wife or desire any of his things. Like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's helpful. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing about coveting uh, as we kind of end the Ten Commandments here, the look at uh, as they are here in uh, Deuteronomy 5. So um, I think, and 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 scholars in the Jewish tradition have talked about how coveting is at the bottom of every sin. Um, I think in in Christian circles, I've often heard like pride is the root of all sin, you know, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is which is really can be a subset of coveting. But you know, in the Jewish mind, coveting was the subset of all sin, which is why it ends the Ten Commandments. So mm-hmm. at the front of the Ten Commandments, you have that God has delivered you, and at the end of the Ten Commandments, it's um, don't try to deliver yourself by going and, and trying to get everything for yourself by wanting more than you have. Um, and because that was the sin of Eve in the garden that yeah. God had already given her the commands that, that he wanted for her to have. And she coveted, um, more knowledge. So she took the tree. Um, and that happens, uh, people then use the law that way that they, they try to, That's they crazy. covet, they covet the life that the law um, offers them. And so they, they try to, you know, maliciously use it. And so, um, well, it makes me think of Deuteronomy six when it talks, it kind of says, here's what's going to happen when you go into the land. It says, when you go into the land, there's gonna be great cities and good cities that you did not build houses full of good things that you did not fill cisterns Mm -hmm. that you did not dig vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care not to forget the Lord. So, I mean, I think what you're saying here is part of what you're saying is like the desire, like coveting something that you don't have, um, is really a distrust in God's ability to provide for you. Yes. And they're about to walk into a land where everything is provided for them. Yes. So don't do that. <laughs> like, don't covet. God's going to give you all that you need. Yeah, that is 100% it. And, uh, and so for us in the gospel, like, Jesus has earned for us all of our righteousness. He has promised us an eternal reward. And so we don't have to look at our obedience to him as something that we're trying to earn, you know, more of, um, and and we don't have to look around us at the material goods uh, of, of this world and say like, man, if I had that or uh, that yeah. would really make me happy. Because well, you can we, even be more concrete and draw even straighter line. We we could talk about the immaterial thing, which we need to, because mm-hmm. ultimately we will get all that we need by a relationship with Jesus in heaven, spiritually, new heavens, new earth, physically. But what does Jesus also say? pray and ask for your daily bread. Like right, yep. in the gospel, we actually do have a promise from our savior that he will meet the needs that we have. Mm-hmm. And that's, I always get hesitant by that, by that promise because like, I know people that don't have everything that they, they need. Totally. Right. Yep. Like I know a lot of people who are in poverty. I've visited villages that don't have running water. So like, what does that, what does it mean for Jesus to promise daily bread? Is it only spiritual? I actually don't think so, though. I think God really is saying, like, look at the look at the sparrows. Aren't they clothed? Don't they eat? Aren't mm-hmm. the aren't the flowers of the field clothed more beautifully than the kings of Solomon? I think in the gospel, because of Jesus, He is actually bringing physical provision for His people. You know, maybe not not abundance, not not like necessarily wealth, but like our daily bread, the things that we most need. 
he will always provide. Mm. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's good. No, I think I think that's good, and I think uh, I think it's a promise that that we can that we we can lean on, and I think people like you and I tend to shy away from those kinds of promises because of the harm we've seen from maybe like the name it and claim it or health and wealth thing where it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, it, it, but we don't want to then over spiritualize everything where God doesn't care about our physical needs that, you know, that would be to do damage to what God promises in his word and what Jesus said. So I know I think it's good. And I think it's a good reminder. So why shouldn't okay. we covet? Because yeah. God has promised to meet our day. Give us our daily bread, just yeah. like he gave the Israelites in the wilderness manna to eat. Like God will give us our daily physical bread, the things we need. And as you were saying in the beginning, because he will ultimately give us the life we need in him. And that should satisfy us in the days we're hungry as well. Okay, so then after the Ten Commandments are repeated, then we get a narrative retelling of what happened after the Ten Commandments um, back in Exodus. Yep. And um, this is this is a part I wanted to, I wanted to hone in on. So chapter five, verse twenty four, uh, and this is Moses quoting the people of Israel's like forefathers that are now dead. Okay. He says, "And you said, behold." The Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. And uh, this they, they are understanding something implicitly, it seems, that when God speaks to a human and a human is in yeah. God's presence, he... He shouldn't be alive anymore. In the next verse, if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. Yeah, and then God all flesh. Right, and then God ends up confirming that. He ends up saying, "Like you spoke right. Like that totally would have happened." You know, I. It's so opposite to how I see the world, or think about God's communication to me, or even like the whole series of books, Jesus Calling. Like the whole point of the book is God speaking all the time directly to you. And I've never once thought, you know what, that should, that should be a little scary. You know what I mean? A like I've never yeah, totally. had a sense of like, um, like this, this might actually not be what I want, want you know? <laughs> yep. So let's That's talk really about funny. that. Yep. Like, second, like we like, how can we then properly understand the fear that we should have at God's voice? But at the same time, hopefully expect God's voice. Because I think both those things mm-hmm. should be true, right? So definitely zoom in on the fear. What should we be seeing here that we're normally missing when we think about hearing God's voice? Well, I mean, yeah, I think one thing that you mentioned is we need to understand the voice of God as something that is powerful and that that in, implicitly in God's voice comes um uh, comes judgment it, and like that's not always yeah. in God's God's voice but um it's a common metaphor throughout the Old Testament that the voice of the Lord comes and judges the nations and so um it's like, if, it, it's like part of God's voice you can't separate like the authoritative yes. like ju- it's kind of like whenever you're like just see a police officer he mm-hmm. just embodies a, the law. And so right. you automatically get nervous, even if you're doing nothing wrong. Like whenever right. I see a police officer on the side of the road, I automatically slow down, even though if I know I set my, you know, cruise control below the speed limit. Right. I'm like, he embodies the law and it's scary to like yeah. come up next to something that embodies right. things that can judge me or give me a ticket for something. To- totally. And so like um, Isaiah 11, 4 says um, that God will strike the world with the rod of his mouth. And it's talking about this day of the Lord that he will come mm. and he will judge all nations. How? 
because he will speak to them and he will, his word will come and judge them and they will perish. So and there's so, this yeah. kind of biblical theology, like when something comes out of the Lord's mouth, it's like this absolute standard that mm-hmm. like judges the, like it, that is the embodiment or the, the verbal issuing of actual judgment. That's right. Not yep. like necessarily just like punishment, but just like judging what is good and what is right. And every, when it's spoken, everybody knows whether what side of the road they're on, whether they're right. breaking the speed limit or not. Okay. That's right. And so if you think about the Ten Commandments then coming to the people of Israel and and this spoken standard is coming across mm. them and they know they haven't lived up to it, they should have died. Like they were speeding, right. <laughs> they were doing far worse than that. They had just right. built, they, you know, they would go on and build an idol, you know, like that's they had what, fallen short of the standard. That's one thing we haven't done when we got through the 10 commandments is just kind of sit under the weight of them for a second. Totally. Like, yeah. okay, have I had a God before me? Yes. Constantly. You know, it's like, I've never, I've like, I've never actually thought about like, okay, let's not just study it. Let's imagine a King with the ability mm. to, to kill me to, yeah. for treason start listing these laws and I have to process like, have I actually lived up to these things? Right. Like I yeah. think I would be like, right now, if like Donald Trump read these <laughs> to me because he's currently our president. And if he read these things to me, I'd be like, I don't know if I actually have done these things in a way that would prevent me from going to jail. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. So I, yeah. I haven't thought, I haven't read them that way. No, I don't think I have either. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, man, we just heard God tell us all these things to do and we should have died. Why, why aren't we dead right now? (laughs) We like, we did not live up to this. And, and so, and so God is showing there even his grace and mercy and long suffering to forgive the iniquities of thousands of generations, which is what he says here in this passage. And he said back in Exodus 34, um, whenever he proclaimed his name to Moses. And so like, like God is showing his grace by setting a standard and yet not judging those who fall short of that standard right then and there, that they have heard the voice of God and yet did not die. But there's a time coming that the prophets predict, like from Isaiah eleven four, that God will come and judge the whole earth with the rod of his mouth. And we read then in Revelation nineteen fifteen that this sword day, coming out of Jesus's mouth. the sword coming out of oh. Jesus's mouth, this is when Jesus returns, he will judge the world. And like, even in John, Jesus said, like, God is not going to judge the world. He's given me the right to judge the world. When he comes, he will just be speaking the Ten Commandments. Like, Dude, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, like, imagine that. We, we, I have this image in my head with Jesus, the sword in his mouth, because it's kind of a crazy image. And I know yeah. it means judgment. But what, it, like, just imagine if Jesus came back and all he did was speak the Ten Commandments. And then everyone who lived up to them or not would know in that moment whether they were guilty. Right. And, and everyone that, would be guilty. And everyone would be guilty. <laughs> yep. Like, oh man, I haven't yeah. thought about, I haven't thought about that much power and consequence behind the Ten Commandments. Totally. Except, except maybe like those crazy like evangelists that like go out in the streets. Like, have you lied this week? Uh-huh. Did you, then you're did, going to hell. Yeah. Then you're going to hell. Like I've heard that version, which has Definitely. never been helpful. Yeah. But this I was actually, trained in that version. <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually helping me redeem some of those kind of things I think are kind of crazy. Like for me devotionally, like I should like consider the consequences of yes. being judged by God's word. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and so, but there's another side to this too. So Jesus comes back, he will speak his word, maybe even the Ten Commandments. The whole world will know that they are under condemnation. And yet 
also in that moment, those who have already put their faith in Jesus, that sword will not be piercing for them. It will be vindicating for them. It will not cut them. It will cut sin off of them. Like it's, it's amazing. Um, and so, because God's word does not just bring judgment and death, it also brings life. So in John 6, 63, Jesus says that it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so God has, Jesus spent time with his disciples, speaking to them, teaching them. And then in John 20, 22, he breathes out of his mouth the spirit and life and the Holy Spirit comes to them and it gives them life. And so for those of us who have faith in Jesus, when he opens his mouth to give us his words, it's not death to us. It is life to us. And so it's, it's both things that come out of God's mouth. Mm. And, and what is, what is, what are we going to hear in Deuteronomy later? I have now set before you life and death, blessing and curse. How? By speaking by speaking commands. And so God is coming and saying, here are the commands. They are either life or death to you. And how in both situations, both in Mount Sinai and the New Testament, are we both get to hear the voice of God, hear the commands of God, but yet be spared by Moses, Mm -hmm. the one who stands between the people of God and the top of the mountain burning in fire. And in the New Testament, it is Jesus, the truer and better Moses, who when God's decree comes even more like when Jesus is judged on the cross, the clouds come like that is judgment. If God did not spare his son from Mm -hmm. judgment, how is he going to spare any of us? Right. That should be fearful to us to say, we should look at that and say that might happen to us unless Jesus is also Moses going before it, interceding before God and being our go between. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. So anyway, I just love that whole voice of the Lord motif through this passage. Um, I think it's really beautiful. Um, So let's kind of, let's now, let's turn our attention to chapter six and see what's going on there. Okay, so in in chapter six, we get um, what is really one of the most famous parts of Deuteronomy, right? Yeah, the Shema. The Shema, which is the Hebrew word for here. Yep, here, yep. here and obey. Here. And so, uh-huh. hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So you've probably heard that before. And yep. this became a central prayer for the people of Israel. Even today, Jews all around the world still pray this prayer. It's kind of like the uh, Nicene or Apostles' Creed for mm-hmm. Judaism, isn't it? It's like yep. it's the totally. statement of Orthodox Jewish belief. Yep. God is one and we should obey him. Yes. And so, and yeah. Him. And love him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and, and that, and, and really that is, it does, it is the crux on which Deuteronomy, uh, kind of turns because it's, it's the, the combination of hearing, loving, and obeying. Those should all go together. You should hear from the Lord, what he's done for you, what he commands of you that should create love in your heart for him. That should lead you to obedience. That's the, yeah. the, the moral, the moral theology of Deuteronomy is summed so, up in the Shema. Let's ask a question as a Christian of this text then for just a second. So this is the foundational text for for Judaism, Judea, uh, monotheism. Like they don't believe in a Trinity or Jesus. So they would Correct. see this, this whole exercise of seeing Jesus in the Shema as um, actually a violation of the text. The Lord is one. Right. Correct. So how have Christians understood this throughout history? Maybe just like, are, are we justified in seeing, are we still allowed to think about a Trinity? 
because it says this is kind of the question. But I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think that we uh, we actually have more reason to believe in the Trinity because of this passage. Because if God I was, not was that. okay, <laughs> <laughs> if if God wasn't one, why would you need to point it out? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because I, I, why would I say I am Seth and I am one? <laughs> like, you're like, wait, hold on, I I hadn't thought that you were more than one before. Was there a question of, yeah. about that? <laughs> yeah, right. But we've already in the Torah, we've already met the word of God, the voice of God. We've met the spirit of God. We, you know, we've met the heavenly counsel of God. And so there's all these things happening and we're like, we've also heard like lots of different names for God, like God's yes. healer or provider or. Yeah. 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 Is he, he's the, I am, but he's also, his name is jealous and his name is also long suffering. And yeah. what, who, who are you? I'm, I'm, I'm all these things, but I'm yeah. one. And yep. in that time period, the temptation would be just to label each one of those attributes of God as its own God, right? Correct. Kind of yes. Right? So like, oh, the, the fear of God is symbolized by this figure, and the justice of God is this figure, and the yes. beauty of God is this figure. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because they were they came from a polytheistic background in Egypt, and so this monotheistic um, proclamation is very important. Yeah, Which makes absolutely. sense from the one thing I do know about this word, is that word one is not so much like, alone or mm. one in isolation it's actually like unity it's that's the more the connotation behind it so much so that whenever in genesis 2 adam and eve become one flesh oh, the right. same word one there is the same word one here it's not so much that there's a um just a oneness or singularity it's actually that there's a united nature to what mm. what's being talked about all the attributes of god are in one being Right. We don't say that a husband and wife are now one person and they they have, you know, that they are completely right. indivisible. Right. Uh, but we also understand them as one unit. And so, yeah, yeah totally. That's a for good, that's purposes. a good picture. Yeah. For tax purposes. <laughs> uh, okay. So then you get these amazing commands uh, about how are they as, as people going into this new land, how are they going to continue to obey and remember God's commandments and, and the story of their deliverance? And the, the answer is that they should just take the commands that they've just heard and write them all over their house, you know, like put them on the doorposts and scroll them on the walls, you know, write it on your forehead. If you have to just yeah. make sure you Which encounter this word everywhere. Judaism have done. They have the, what's mm -hmm. it called? Oh, what's the word? The, oh, dang it. I knew uh, you were going to ask that. I, I, I like, I you looked have it up one. too. Don't you have one? Um, no, I have. I had a mezuzah, which is what oh. they put on the doorpost of the house. And yeah. So today, if you go to a Jewish home, they'll have a mezuzah on the door, and inside should be a scroll that either has the Shema on it or a section of the Old Testament, the Torah, or yeah. maybe the whole Torah, depending on the size of the mm -hmm. type. And so they are supposed to see it every time they walk in the door. And what they'll do is they'll kiss it. They'll t kiss their mm -hmm. hand. They'll touch the mezuzah. That's ah, uh, I don't. It's not the Nephilim. I don't know why that's the word. <laughs> it begins with like a TS. And anyway, if you go to like Orthodox Jewish spaces, they'll have these like leather straps that wrap around their arms mm. and a little box on their forehead. And right. they, they all contain the Shema or a. That's not the phylactery. 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 I don't. Remember. I don't know how to pronounce it. Mm. But yeah, that's something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. And so. If you see them, that's actually what they're doing. They're trying to obey this command as literally yes. as possible. They have the law of God on their hands, on their forehead, and on the doorpost right. of their home. And so what's amazing with the biblical story then is what God does here it, it, throughout the, the biblical narrative. And we see promises of it in Ezekiel and Jeremiah 
is that he's not going to just come and write his law on your forehead or on your house. He's actually going to inscribe it on your heart. And that yeah. way you will actually be able to obey it. So it's it's mm. like try try all these external ways to obey the law, and what's going to happen? You're still going to fail. <laughs> well, and I'm you, assuming the point here is that you write them on your forehead and your doorposts and your hands, and you teach them to your children in the hopes that they would they, make their way to the heart. They would make the way to the heart, and I mean that's the way we teach our children, right? Like yes. we know yep. that we can't like by virtue of my parental fiat, my son <laughs> is not going to become a believer in Jesus. Right. But what I do is I repeat the story of the gospel. I tell him the commands of Jesus. I remind him of the Ten Commandments. When he's mean to his sister, I say, I tell him, love your neighbor as yourself. Like when he's mean to his mother, honor your mother. Like mm -hmm. I, I put that constantly before him because I know if I don't, one, he'll forget. Yeah. And two, he won't actually grow up to have them inscribed right. on his heart at all. Right. So I'm assuming the heart here is that by repeating, they would get to the heart, right? Yes, that That's was absolutely the goal. Yeah, you shall love right. the Lord your God with all your heart. Yes. And so the whole idea was repeat these until they 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 work their way into the heart. I mean, it's why David, probably reflecting on this passage or a similar one, said, I have hidden your words in my heart that verse, I might not sin against you. Even verse 6 right here, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There it is. The whole point of these external uh, ways in which you remember the law is to place them on your heart. Right. What you're getting at is the fact that ultimately later in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses will actually say, God is not in your heart. <laughs> right. You he's going to say, he's going to say you have a hard uncircumcised heart because God has not softened it or or circumcised it yet. So later on in the book of Deuteronomy, we get this kind of ominous tone where it's like all this repetition will actually be for nothing. Yeah. Um, and the prophets will pick that up as well and say, like, all of Israel has an uncircumcised heart. We need to, our hearts to be softened. We need new hearts if we're going to yeah. obey God's laws properly. Yeah. And uh, I think it's important to say that it's not because they tried to repeat them over and over again and it didn't work. Like, this would have worked. Yes. <laughs> but they did not obey this command. They did not repeat the stories to their children. They did not put them on their walls and and, and on their foreheads. They, they, they yeah. didn't, it, the law did not make its way to their heart. Because they immediately started breaking the law. Yeah, and so the the real fear, the real boogeyman in this passage is not disobedience, but forgetfulness. I mean, it is yes. disobedience, but it's yeah. forgetfulness. Forgetfulness first, because he says you're going to go into this land, and there's going to be houses you did not build and vineyards you did not plant. You're going to be, it's just going to be so good. You're going to move into a suburban neighborhood. Yeah, and when you do, and you're super comfy, or revitalized downtown, with a lot or of revitalized downtown, whatever, <laughs> you're you're going to forget me because you won't you you'll feel like you don't need me anymore because all your needs are going to be met and so it's like we, we as westerners we can definitely relate to that because our needs are met you know very easily and 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 it's easy to forget our need of god whenever we have our needs met by ourselves so easily for for so many people um and and it's it's much different if you are in a hand to mouth society or nomadic society like Israel yeah. was at this time. Your needs were yeah, God's always saying, very evident. God's going to say, say like you've been wandering the wilderness for forty years and you're about to have everything handed to you. And if you don't, in that place of wealth, remind yourself of my commandments, you'll forget mm -hmm. them. Right. And which makes sense of why so much of Jesus's polemics, Book of James, speak so um, intensely about wealth. Like the forgetfulness of the people of Israel was the idolatry of the people of Israel was precipitated by the gaining of wealth, like mm. or just 
an abundance of things. I think even Proverbs picks up on this language uh, when in Proverbs 30, when it says, give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I forget you. Uh, right. Don't give me so much that I f- would forget you. Uh, so there's this danger to wealth that would bring us to like forget who God is. So we mm-hmm. always need to repeat God's commands constantly. Otherwise we'll forget. Yep. Have you ever read well, The I... Silver Chair? Oh, anyway, oh, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say one more thing about that was, yeah. was it's like the, you know, I think of the rich young ruler with Jesus too here because yeah. you know, he was, he was rich and Jesus, and he was like, what do I need to do to it to get eternal life? And he's like, obey these, these commandments we've been reading. And he's like, yeah, I've, yeah, 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 I did that. And he's like, okay, so do you not need anything? You feel like, it just feels like you, you, you've got it all figured out. And so Jesus gets to the heart of the problem and he says, sell all your possessions. And he's like, uh, but then I would need something, you know, <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's impossible for him. He's forgotten his dependence on God because he not only had all his moral categories checked off, he also had all his needs cared for. So he didn't need this traveling teacher. He didn't yeah. need God anyway. Just thought of that. Right. No, it's, so it's silver, not... you were talking about the silver chair. Well, yeah, well in, uh, C.S. Lewis, he, uh, the opening of the book is Aslan speaks to, uh, Jill pole and gives her and this is, four signs. For, for those who don't know, this is in the the series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Did I not right. say that? Chronicles I don't of Narnia. So. Yep. Excellent. And so this one book, she gives he gives Jill Pole four signs she's supposed to remember. Say every time she wakes up, every time she goes to bed, and repeat them as she's walking on her way. So it's like it's a version of <laughs> Deuteronomy six. And what she ends up doing is forgetting. Mm. Uh, she forgets to to do that practice. And so there's this moment that comes when she gets trapped by this in this witch um and she who's also a serpent so like all this like demonic imagery and this witch can tries to convince her that aslan's not real that god isn't out for, like the aslan is this god figure it's like he's not mm-hmm. real he's just something that you've made up and it's oh I, i'm gonna just read a little bit because i have it open in front of me and it's so brilliant he said the witch shook her head and see i see she said that we that we should do no better than your oh shoot i shouldn't do this because now i've don't even know where the book it is. <laughs> anyway, the whole point, she like tries to subvert all of her expectations. She said, like, there's no such thing as a lion. Uh-huh. As long as a lion. Oh, what you probably saw was my cat in the corner and just imagine right. a bigger and better cat. So I can imagine something similar happening to the people of Israel where mm-hmm. they say, oh, you know, I probably just made up God. It was right. a projection of my desire for a father I didn't have, or it's yep. my idea that that's where all wealth comes from. When actually all that really is, is the wealth and abundance I see around me, which is exactly what Israel does. They worship mm-hmm. the cre- the creation and the rather. creature rather than the creator who lives wow. forever. It's anyway, so good. C.S. Lewis is brilliant. If you want to, if you want to read it, you should read the silver chair because it's so good. It's so good, man. Okay. Last thing that we have to talk about here is the reasons for o- obeying the law. Um, because God, God gives those. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Verse 23. Yeah. Uh, and he brought us out from there, Egypt, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord command us to do all these statutes. And then here's the reasons to fear the Lord, our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to do the commands before the Lord, our God. Mm-hmm. So four things, right? What are they? Uh, why do we obey these commands? Because we've been rescued out of yep. Egypt uh, in order to fear God properly for our good, for our life, and for righteousness. Five so reasons. five. Five, five reasons. reasons. We've been rescued, so we might fear the Lord for our good, for our righteousness. Oh, wait, I missed one. For our good, for our life, and for, for our, our life, and for our righteousness. Wow. So why do we obey? 
first and foremost, we've talked about this already, it's because we've been rescued. Yes. Uh, even before this, what led us into this is um, he's talking about, you know, go and talk to your your children and repeat these commands to them. And when they say, what's the deal with these commandments? Why do we follow them? And why do we observe these different feasts and everything? You're to say to them, because we were slaves in Egypt and God rescued us. And yeah. then he gave us these commands. And so it's funny that the, that we've talked about how God's rescue leads us into his requirements. But then yeah. it's also the other way where his requirements should remind us of his rescue. You know, yeah. and so it's, it's just cool. So anyway, it, 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 because God's all saved things us. that people will forget what Israel forgot and what Christians forget it's that God's rescue and love precedes his commands like mm-hmm. God has died for us he's rescued us out of Egypt and because we are rescued we now obey right and yes we are always con- like we think we're going to get the other we forget that it's the other way around constantly yep so this is why we need to remind ourselves because we are programmed uh, to think that it's our actions, our efforts that will get God to rescue us. That's yes. not the case. Not the case. It's so good. And so that's the first reason. The second reason is God gave these commands uh, so that we might fear him. And we've kind of talked about that, where it's like, if we remember everything that God actually requires of us as humans, we will constantly go, oh no, I have not lived up to that. Like, yeah. He is powerful. He is going to speak and I will be under judgment. But then what what gets to happen? You get to remind yourself of the rescue that right. Jesus has given you um, a, a way about, out of your judgment. Think about somebody on parole. Like yeah. you've committed a crime. Now you're out on a limited basis. And if you <laughs> do anything wrong again, you'll be back in prison and you have a meeting with your parole officer once a month to make sure that you haven't broken any laws. So like there's a, an appropriate fear of the law for somebody on p- parole. So yeah. there's a sense like when we have the law and an authority in the back of our mind saying like, do not break these things. Otherwise you come under punishment. Like that's the fear that's being talked about here. That's a healthy fear to follow the law. Right. Like, yeah. I think the only, the only, the only like nuance I'd want to give to that is I think that living our lives in Christ, like we're on parole is, is not helpful at all no, because we're free. We're free. We from free. There is no condemnation, but it is good to fear God. Yes. That's what, we said, that's what we said last week. And even here, yep. it is good to fear, mm-hmm. have an appropriate respect for the embodiment of God's law in his son, Jesus. So yes. there is a sense that we should have an abiding sense that the law will, we will be held accountable to the law and we should seek to do it because if we not, we'll be held accountable to it. Does that make that's sense? Right. Definitely. The, yep. The fear of punishment, the fear of retribution or a fear of like discipline should motivate us towards obedience. Yes. Okay, and then the right. third one is it's for our good. I love this one. So oh, good. Why, why obey the law? Why why do the things that the Bible requires? It's not because they're oppressive. It's not because you're trying to earn something. It's because it's good for you. It's like you a multivitamin. Designed, <laughs> you were designed this way. Yeah. God made you so that you wouldn't have to deal with the intense psychological trauma that comes from killing somebody. Like God oh has made gosh, you. Yeah in such a way that you work best when you obey his commands. You were made to be the man of one wife. So mm-hmm. your world will look better when you live that way. <laughs> like yes. you were designed not to lie. Yes. Like you were not designed to like to deal with all the anxiety that comes from for, uh, all that comes from like making sure that nobody finds out the truth. Like you weren't designed totally. For that. Yeah. Whenever, and, yeah. It's so good. Whenever Eric and I were in counseling after like we lost our son, one of the mm-hmm. most helpful things that we heard was like, you were not designed for grief. Mm-hmm. Like 
you were not designed for the brokenness that you experience. Like when you obey God's law, when you are inviting the new creation back in and you experience in the life, the goodness that was supposed to be ours in Eden. Mm -hmm. It's for our good. The commands are for our good and they're for our life. And so, which we've, we've talked about that, that these commands are not only for our good, they actually lead to life. They lead to eternal life. Like they lead for, to the, the, new, for the new lands. Yeah. The new yeah, land. Yeah. yeah. For, for yeah. the Israelites, it would be this new land in Canaan. For us, it's eternal life with God forever. And it's not a workspace righteousness where you are earning your way into that, but it it gives life, these commands, and, and it will be our life. Like we talked about in the new heavens and new earth, we will live these commandments out. They will be life to us. They will be our very existence. Um, and then number five, they are righteousness for us. And man, I'm in Romans right now okay. for spoken gospel stuff. I'm re- working but on the introduction to Romans. About this. And it's all about righteousness. And cool. so, it so what does it mean like- then for us to obey? So if we've already been given a good standing, God, Christ's own righteousness by our trust in him, that's already happened. We've already been yep. rescued from sin. What does it mean after the fact to do good works for more righteousness. <laughs> <laughs> so so what happens in Romans is that that so there's three kinds of righteousness. One is God's righteousness, which is his okay. faithfulness, that God is he shows his righteousness to us by being faithful to us. Yep. That he is good even when we're not, that he's faithful yep. when we're faithless. The second kind of righteousness is the righteousness Jesus earns for us on the cross, that he declares us justified, legally righteous before the Father, despite the sins that we've committed to break his these laws here. But then there's a third kind of righteousness that you learn about more towards the end of uh, Romans, like Romans 8 and on. And that is the kind of righteousness that is lived righteousness, that we are actually becoming righteous people who do the right things, who actually live um, as if we are justified and that we aren't under condemnation. We live as people who are good. And so it it moves from faith to faith. Yeah, There's a righteousness that comes from God. The, mm-hmm. the, there's a righteousness that God is just by virtue of being God himself. Yep. He is there's righteousness. A, the right, there's a righteousness that Jesus gives to us. Mm-hmm. And there's also a righteousness that we continue in as we live, like that we actually commit, we commit righteousness. We commit. That's right. Uh, another, another word for righteousness is just justice. Like we yep. commit and do justice. Like we That's do right. what is right. Yep. So how can we do right in this world? How can we be good people in this world? How can we be righteous? We obey the Ten Commandments. We we do these. They are righteousness for us. Uh, It doesn't mean that they earn our righteousness for us. That was earned in in Christ. But they are our righteousness in that we live them out and act justly in this world. So even here in the Old Testament, we should be aware that He's not saying if you are righteous enough, then you'll get into the promised land. Right. The reason they were getting into the promised land was because God delivered them out of the land of Egypt and was going to provide victory and battle for them once they got there. Like all the initiatory entering into the promised land, saving action was on God's end. He's talking about here really is that third category of righteousness, the Mm -hmm. good and the justice that we can do. And that should be good news to us. Like God's Mm -hmm. commands should be good news because it means that you and I can actually do good in the world. Like the world can actually be changed. Yeah. by our efforts like that's a real piece of good news like yes it is but so like because i think i i can be tend towards hopelessness mm. right like yes what i do doesn't matter yeah like justice won't actually reign mm. but if you trust in jesus that is false like yeah. god's kingdom comes in part through us 
Yeah, when we obey his commands. That's right. Yeah, I love that. That's good. It's also good news to me when I get to hear your daughter like cooing in the, in the background. Ba- cooing in the background. She woke so up horrible. halfway through the podcast, so I just threw yeah. her on the ground right next to threw me. Threw her on the ground. Well, you know, just laid her, her gently there. on the ground. Laid her gently on the ground. <laughs> She's just. Oh, that's awesome. Well, this has been great. Um, we'll we'll uh, we'll pick up with um, talking about God's chosenness of His people next week, which would be really interesting. Why God chose Israel and what that means for us. That yeah. that would be very intense. So I'm excited. So anyway, thank thank you guys for listening. This is thank this you guys has been, so much. Yeah, this has been. If a lot you of guys fun. like our podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes. We literally read all the comments. And we do. We love them. We do. We text them back and forth to each other. Please leave <laughs> us a comment to like encourage us and especially if you want more people to hear about Jesus and all scripture because your mm-hmm. comments your likes are how more people hear about Jesus yeah and uh, you can get all of our free resources at spokengospel.com uh, we just love you guys thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit spokengospel.com. Mm-hmm.